So this is our second class, and we have, um, as you know, the book that we've been reading is The Living God, and um, we have had some people who kind of joined a little later, and so uh, who didn't have the book. I want to welcome George Jorge, also new, a new catechumen uh, desiring to uh, join the church, and we want to welcome him. And so what I thought I'd do today, and also because uh, there's a lot of reading in these first 40 or so pages, and as I mentioned last time, it kind of skims over lots of different things, lots of different concepts. So what I wanted to do today, just for the benefit of the newcomers and anyone who didn't have the book yet or just started reading or hasn't maybe uh, finished reading, I'm just going to do a little recap of what we've discussed so far, but or what we've kind of read so far, but but... But again, the topic is so huge, right? We cannot possibly squeeze it into an hour or two. And so in addition to the recap, I want to dive into the information a little bit more and then uh, get your questions as well. So we'll begin. Um, let me see if this thing works. So. Slide will move forward. So we began by saying that the revel about Christianity being a revelation of God. And we call Orthodox Christianity not a religion, but a revelation of God. We approach our thinking and talking about God with humility, love, and the fear of God. And the Orthodox approach, and we'll, I'll talk more about this in the future. Uh, this has to do with the orthodox approach, the orthodox mentality, the orthodox vision. Is We have a word in Greek called phronima. The orthodox phronima is very unique and very different from other uh, groups, uh, whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant. And in, in, in upcoming class, I'm going to really get into this more with you because it's so important that we understand and try to acquire the orthodox mindset as we strive, as we are on the path of becoming orthodox. The orthodox mindset, the orthodox formula is very different from what is traditionally seen in the Protestant and Roman Catholic churches. Why is that? Well, because we're, just to give a little snapshot of that, we are very comfortable with not knowing. I don't know. And that's okay. We're very comfortable with that. We are very comfortable with uncertainty, with ambiguity about God, about doctrine, about many things. Uh, and we are very comfortable with paradox. And there's a lot of paradox in orthodox. So that's just something to keep in mind uh, with regard as we're talking about creation and the Trinity and everything else in the reading. God is not a subject to be defined, dissected or analyzed according to human intellect, but a mystery that inspires awe, praise, worship, and silence. Silence. So uh, the first couple chapters were about the image of God and creation. So 
So God's essence, we said, is unknowable and incomprehensible. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. So before the Creator, before God created the world, there was nothing. Only God. Only God exists. Right? And creation comes into being at a certain time that is a created time. But he is outside of time. And nothing exists except him. And all things come into existence because of his creative work. And in the Holy Scriptures, we have a record of God revealing himself as a Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know that some of this is very basic and elemental, uh, elementary for many of you. But one thing somebody taught me a long time ago was never fail to state the obvious. So we're stating the obvious, I know, for many of you. But not for all of you, because there are some who are coming from a background that, you know, uh, are still learning these things. And so I want to, I have a um, mentality of leave no man behind. We want to all be in this, on the same page. The Holy Trinity is a mystery that we can never fully understand. Um, the Holy Trinity created the world out of nothing. God spoke and it came to be instantaneously. That's the creative power of God, instantaneously. And of course, we see this if you fast forward to the New Testament, right? Peter cuts off the, the, the soldier's ear. Instantaneously, Christ heals it, right? Or when he instantaneously gives a man eyeballs, who was born blind without nothing in his eye sockets. This is how God works, instantaneously. So, God's essence is unknowable and incomprehensible, and um, all of creation, this is a key part, but all of creation is a manifestation of love that overflows from within the Holy Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, within that Holy Trinity is love, and out of the abundance and overflowing of that love, the world and creation was made manifested came into existence. Love is the, if you will, the, the power, the force of life that creates all things. The image of God in creation, to believe that God created everything out of nothing is the beginning of what we call faith. Okay? That's the beginning. That's where it all starts. Here's an icon of Christ, the Son of God, creating. Uh, in this scene, he is, uh, as the, sorry, it's so blurry, let the waters bring forth living creatures, having life, and let birds fly above the earth. So uh, anybody want to take a, just a comment or a guess? Why are we depicting Christ here as a human being Creating the world. The word through whom all things came to be. The word through whom all things came to be, right? He's good. He's good. That's right. So, but Jesus, the man, came to earth centuries and centuries, thousands, maybe years later than this moment of creation. Why is it that in Orthodox iconography, he's depicted, though, as the man, Jesus, as you will see him in other icons? Anybody else want to 
take a stab at that one? Does it make you wonder? Anybody at home? By the way, uh, let me just say, everyone at home, last time you guys were posting some questions in the chat, and I'm unable to see them because of the way my setup is right here. So if you would please, if you have a question or comment, just, just get my attention, just start unmute yourself and just, you know, chime in um, and we can uh, answer your questions. As Christ is eternal before he was born as Jesus after, so even though it wasn't necessarily exactly what God was going to say first, you know that Absolutely. Very good job. Exactly. Um, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he says. The beginning and the end. And by depicting him here in this form, we are acknowledging that. That Christ, the Son of God, is outside of time. And he entered into time. But it's the same Son of God. It's the same Logos. And by depicting him this way, we are kind of connecting past and present, uh, future and past, now, outside of now, everything, you see? Make sense? The book of Genesis reveals how all of creation came into existence in six days. That's in quotes. But divine time and human time are not the same thing. Okay. Um, with the Lord one day as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Second Peter. The truth of biblical revelation is not the same as the fragmentary and relative truth studied by science. This is a quote from the book. Science studies the world of appearances, fleeting phenomenon which can be measured in minutes and meters and which unfold in human time and space. And that's fine. That's great. Biblical revelation rises above time and space to God. It is he who has created time, space, and everything which science discovers. Discovers, right? Science is discovering. Just as he has created the human intelligence, which has invented science itself. When a believer meditates on the biblical account of creation, he or she can see nature with new eyes. That's what we're after, is those new eyes of faith, which is given by God as well. We discover with wonder the beauty of the created order, the splendor of the creator's work, which is itself only a pale reflection of the ineffable beauty of the creator himself. I got that into that last time. Like the world around us, no matter how glorious, how grand, how incomprehensible and how beautiful and glorious it is, how majestic, is like a little, I don't know, a pale reflection, as he says, of the beauty of God himself. So this is where, of course, we, we, we the beauty of the world gives us a uh, intimation of God, but it is not the totality of who he is simply something outside of him that he created. So if he created this, then obviously he's greater than it. And indescribable. So man, 
in this icon you see Christ again, and it's the moment when Eve is created from from Adam. Adam is in a deep sleep, and Eve is sort of called forth. The image of God, man. And man, of course, is made, as we read, in the image and likeness of God. I'm going to have a separate class on just that. What does that mean, image and likeness? Because it's very important. But right now, we're just doing a little bit of a recap. Mankind is created to share in the glory and divine and eternal life of God. Unlike the animals, God created mankind using existing matter, the earth and also uh, the earth, and also breathed into him the Holy Spirit. So man thus became a hybrid, of a being made of both the earth and of heaven, uniquely having an intimate, literal link with all of creation and with God, because he's made of the actual earth. And then he has the Holy Spirit within him. So he's a hybrid. Mankind is the crown, the master and steward, caretaker of God's creation, meant to be a bridge and to care for the creation, and in thanksgiving, lead and lift up all of creation to God through himself, since he is of earth, of nature, of creation. Through him, as the master and steward, he was meant to lift up all creation in a song of thanksgiving to God. Like, and of course, caring for it. This scene kind of is, you see Adam and Eve, and the animals are nearby. There is harmony, peace. There is a community, if you will. And um, in this icon, in a couple of minutes, I'll show you uh, Adam uh, in another scene. So God's plan for human beings was that they would increase in holiness and thereby grow in and claim their identity as children of God. This was their destiny. This was what Adam and Eve were meant to be and do. He gave them absolute free will. Without freedom, there cannot be true love. They could choose to love him and obey him or to turn away from him. Without freedom, there is no true love. This, this uh, notion of freedom is very, very, very important in all galaxy. Um, it, without that, everything falls apart. Freedom is, is at the root of everything. And this freedom is what God gives human beings. He creates them with this freedom. A very radical, radical uh, act that he did. Give them absolute freedom, absolute free will. To choose to love him or to turn away from him. Why? Because if it's forced, then it's not authentic, right? If you force someone to love you, or they're programmed to love you, it's not going to be authentic love. And God didn't want a bunch of robots. He wanted his creation to freely love him. So, the fall. Adam and Eve believed the lies of the devil, turned their hearts away from God, and broke communion with him. So they, their hearts, but they gave away. And this Notice the word communion. 
broke communion with him. The sin was not so much in eating the forbidden fruit itself, but the disobedience and the thoughts that motivated it. What did he deceive them to think? The devil deceived them to think and to believe that God did not love them, that he was lying to them, that he didn't trust them and was keeping something from them that they deserved. Right? The temptation was a yearning for the infinite, the absolute, a desire to substitute oneself for God, a desire to become God. This is what Lucifer desired also, and what caused his fall. Out of hatred for God and for human beings, who had been so exalted by God, right? Because remember, the angelic world, we haven't talked about this, but God created the angelic world, the invisible world, before he created the visible world, the earth. And after uh, Lucifer fell, along with his the other angels who followed after him. He, of course, observed, knew that God had created man and how much God loved man. And he couldn't understand it, how someone who was made from the earth, from mud, from slime, could be so exalted and have the image of God in him. And this made the devil very jealous, and very angry at God's creation and desired to destroy it as a way to sort of grieve God. So he plots their destruction. Ironically, what he promises them, this idea of deification, when he says, you shall be like God, is exactly what God had planned and desired for them. To eventually attain, inasmuch and according to, the measure of their love for him. their commitment to applying their free will to being obedient to God. Okay? God, um, their free choice to participate in the progress of their deification. These were the ways that they would have attained deification, which was their purpose and their uh, what they were invited to by God to attain, given everything they needed to attain that. Okay? It was God's love that offered all this to them and their love for God that would make them worthy of it. Their free will had to first conform to this desire for union with God as their father. Because their free will could conform to anything else, but it had to in free their free will had to freely, if I could say that, their free will had to freely conform to this desire of union with God as their father. Their freedom had to be tested, however, and by being tested, strengthened and confirmed. So here's an icon. Uh, again, Adam's exalted state and his harmony this icon is called the naming of the animals. Uh, Adam was given divine powers, uh, something we cannot understand now, that we've lost, obviously. 
but the animals were all in submission to him, in friendship with him. And he names the animals. This indicates the authority he has over them, almost like a father, right? A father names his children. And by naming the animals, also that, that also tells you he knew the animal. He had an intimate knowledge of the animal and named it according to what he knew about it. Okay? And of course, there was communication. Again, we don't know how, but there was a spiritual, maybe even verbal communication between the animals and Adam. So instead of continuing to grow in this grace of God, in this love for God, and on the path of deification, um, they used their freedom to obey another desire that was prompted in them by the devil, and they gave in to the temptation of pride and avarice, greed. He, the serpent, said to the woman, now this is how it happened, this is from Genesis. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, so he sows already the doubt. He sows the lie. He brings God's commandment into question. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, here are the lies, right? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Knowing good and So he is again implying that God's keeping something from you. He's calling God a liar, saying you will not die. Um, and enticing them with this power, this ability of go knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate. So I bolded there, as you can see, good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. All very carnal, fleshly desires, right? Uh, very self-pleasing, self-gratifying uh, things. At this moment, she has taken her eyes off of the creator and focused it on the creation. Love for God has been re replaced love for his, for the material world, for creation. That's the pivotal moment. That's the fatal flaw right there. That's the fatal mistake. Hi, Dave. And Mia, what's we're here? So one of the fathers knew that um, he could not attack, uh, says that how, you know, he knew he couldn't attack Adam directly. Um, and so he instead, he says, the devil aimed to circumvent Adam by means of the woman. He did not accost the man who had in his presence received 
the heavenly command of not eating from the forbidden tree. This is a really interesting point. If you read Genesis, it says, you know, God creates Adam, and then he tells him what he should eat from and what he should not eat from. At this point, he has not created Eve yet. So Eve does not hear the commandment straight from God. She's created later, and it is assumed, according to what she says through the serpent, that she had heard this from Adam. So there's a bit of a uh, um, degree of separation between Eve and God with regard to this commandment, not to eat from the tree. In other words, she, even, she was one flesh with Adam, and he had shared with her the commandment of God, and so she was supposed to receive that and uphold it as well. So St. Ambrose here says this. He says, he did not accost the man who had in his presence received the heavenly command of not eating from the forbidden tree. He accosted her who had learned of it from her husband and who had not received from God the command which was to be observed. There is no statement that God spoke to the woman. We know that he spoke to Adam. Hence, we must conclude that the command was communicated through Adam to the woman. And so this is why the devil doesn't go straight to Adam. He sees a bit of a an end, if you will, by going to the woman instead. Um, yeah. So does Eve then? Um, so when God created Adam and he, the uh, Holy Spirit, his breath entered Adam. Yeah. And then later Eve was created. So yes. Meaning that she could have received the Holy Spirit still via Adam, right. not through. Right. Yes, exactly. So he creates Adam, the first man, the first being, human being. He breathes the Holy Spirit into him. From him he takes woman, and woman receives all the qualities of the, of the first man being uh, taken from him, including the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The devil knew of Adam's love and trust of Eve and the likelihood of him listening to her and exploit it. Questions? Any questions so far? Anyone from home? Um, I, yeah. Well, so I've heard rumors definitely outside of the orthodoxy about somebody named Lilith was like created like prior to Eve or like Oh, I never heard of that. Lilith. Lilith? Yeah. Okay. I just wondered if Orthodoxy had like an idea of Lilith or No, that's interesting. No, I mean, we don't have that uh, at all. Uh, we, we kind of have a very uh, biblical based approach right. uh, understanding. Um, yeah. And then a question that comes up with Raya a lot is um, how how did we multiply? How did we multiply? Yeah, so she showed, right? How did we multiply is the question I have. You wonder, how did the sons of Adam and Eve find wives? And, mm -hmm. and how, because um, it, when we read it, there, it seems to be like this. Yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Um, well, obviously, Adam and Eve had children, uh, Cain and Abel, and then Cain kills Abel. Then there are other sons born, and you wonder where did, how did they have wives? 
created the wives? Was it, were they, uh, you know, cousins? Was it, um, uh, you know, most likely we could say it was probably cousins at this point, if you want to say. But let me, I think it's a great question. I haven't thought of it much, but I can uh, come back next time and give you a better answer. So, you know, what was the person born every one night? So, you know, he was the person to make one night. I think one person made another 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 yeah, I'm going to give you a good answer. I'm going to read what the church fathers say about that, and I'm going to give you a really good answer. Thank you for the question. It's a good part. It's a mystery. Um, so Eve, this is a little long quote, but it, it uh, touches a little bit on a more of a spiritual question. He says, Eve is the first to teach us that sight, taste, and the other senses, when used without moderation, distract the heart from its remembrance of God. So long as she did not look with longing on the forbidden tree, she was able to keep God's commandment carefully in mind. She was still covered by the wings of divine love, and thus was ignorant of her own nakedness. But after she had looked at the tree with longing, touched it with ardent desire, that tasted its fruit of intense sensuality, she at once felt drawn to physical intercourse, and being naked, she gave way to the passions. She gave way to passion. All her desire was now to enjoy what was immediately present to her senses, and through the pleasant appearance of the fruit, she involved Adam in her fall. All right. So you see the, the um, more of a spiritual reading here of what happened and how the senses were misappropriated, were misused, uh, turning the eyes and the desire meant for being uh, directed towards God, the Creator, in a relationship they were turned to an object for the uh, purpose of consumption. Greed, right? Ownership, self, uh, self-serving. So a relationship is when I give something in a self-serving sort of objectifying of things, I take something. Yeah. Um, you was thinking about you know God giving man free will. Right. I imagine being all knowing, he would still have an idea what would transpire, or is that part of the paradox of free will? I, I'm having trouble sort of formulating the thought, but just uh, that like God would sort of know that they were going to eat that fruit, or so that's a good question. Um, the question I think you're saying is, God gave human beings free will. Mm -hmm. And since he is God, he would have had foreknowledge that they would have 
uh, that the potential was there for them to disobey. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, you could say he had maybe even foreknowledge of them doing that. And we would say that that is true. But the possibility of them not um, disobeying him and choosing another path was also still there. Okay. So God foresees, but he doesn't foredetermine. Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the difference. Mm -hmm. um, which it makes it even more mind-blowing, right? Because that means... That means God already would have known also that he would have to come and suffer on the cross and mm -hmm. conquer death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even knowing that, he still proceeds with creation, mm -hmm. which again speaks to his love mm -hmm. and his humility. You know what I mean? Definitely. Because if you're gonna for if you're gonna have foreknowledge of their fall, then you're also already gonna have foreknowledge of what you what will be necessary yeah. to rescue them from that? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a good question. It's a good answer. <laughs> so the consequences of the fall. What happened because of this disobedience of Adam and Eve? Because of sin against God, human beings and Eve severed their communion with God. There's that key word again, communion. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. God is eternal. In order for their sin not to remain with them eternally, they were removed from the presence of God. Paradise. Their removal from the source of life brought death to themselves and to the world that they now inhabited. The exile began. So this, the disobedience of Adam, the sin of Adam, affected all of creation. Why? Because, remember, he's a hybrid. He, he has all of creation in himself. He's a kind of a microcosm of a macrocosm. And um, his disobedience brought sin into that order, into, the, into the, create, the order of the created world. A disruption happened, a fracture, a breaking. And um, that um, was the reason why death and sin and sorrow and pain and illness, you name it, came into the world. Obviously a huge tragedy. The exile began. That's a key word, an exile. What else happened? Human nature became distorted, disfigured, and broken. This perfect human nature got created, but not perfect in terms of no um, perfected in holiness. Adam and Eve were not perfect. If they were perfect, they would not have disobeyed God. They were on the path of perfection. They were still infants in this spiritual life. Uh, and they were given the potentiality, the task to grow in that perfection in holiness. The God-given powers of the soul were corrupted into passions. Love was distorted into lust. Self-respect was distorted into pride. Righteousness into self-righteousness. Gratitude into greed. 
We lost the ability to perceive the spiritual realm around us, the presence of angels and demons. Okay? Questions on this? Comments, questions? So, with that last part, it's implied that they had the ability to perceive angels and demons, and um, and yeah, Eve was deceived by the serpent. Yeah. Who we often refer to as the villain and father of a demon. Well, essentially, um, it's a good question. Um, in the presence of God, evil cannot exist. Uh, the temptation was a spiritual one. Uh, the devil was speaking through the snake, through the serpent, okay, to tempt Eve. But the temptation was, the father say, a spiritual one, a kind of noetic to her mind. Uh, in her thoughts, the same way that the devil, the demons tempt us now, they come to our thoughts and suggest something. Okay. Um, and of course, the presence of angels is is uh, is obvious. But prior to the fall, human beings were in this other. Had this other ability to be in the real world, in the spiritual world. Um, now, after the fall, we have a sort of there's a um, kind of a veil between us and the totality of all of the world. We see only the material world, and we've lost this ability to perceive the spiritual world that is around us, the angels and the demons. So something has happened to our vision. It's been it has been, um, you know, like the psalmist says, unveil my eyes so that I can perceive the mysteries of your law. Right? Some, there's a blindness to the next quote you'll see speaks more about how we experience this blindness. What else came into the world? Death, sin, sorrow, evil entered into the world and began to influence and torment it. Okay? The consequences are seen immediately in the story of Cain killing his brother Abel. Having listened to the devil, human beings became vulnerable to demonic influence thereafter. Right? You, you listen. Having listened to it. Remember, we said Adam and Eve represent all of humanity as well. So all of human nature became, was if infected and affected by this mistake. Here's the quote I was referring to. Um, you had a question, Dan? Yeah, was at the time uh, the serpent tempted Eve, was he uh, still an angel or was he... No, he's fallen at this point. Yeah. Yeah, he's the devil um, speaking through this, the serpent. So... This is from Dermitrius uh, Stanoloi, a very famous uh, Orthodox theologian. Look at what he says about this. It's a really 
interesting observation. He says, St. Paul the Apostle declares that these spirits, demons, are scattered throughout the atmosphere, which is to say everywhere around us, and that they hold sway over the darkness of this age. This means that they extend darkness over this light, hinder us from making our way through the light to, through, hinder, sorry, this means that hinder us from making our way through to the light beyond it, and thus render the world opaque for us. Ephesians 6. They bind us to the surface of created things, as the ascetical writings say, by making it beautiful, though with a glamour that is neither spiritual nor transparent, and by presenting this surface as if it were the ultimate reality all the while refusing to let us penetrate through to the inner meaning of things. Our Savior names the devil the ruler of this world. Do you see what he's saying here? Somebody want to paraphrase that or reflect on that, what he's saying here? Again, a consequence of the fall, evil now in a sense, rules the world, having entered into God's creation through Adam. Uh, and our perception has been fractured, uh, distorted, uh, limited, decreased, whatever you want to say. And now these, uh, the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm, the, the demons have this power over us. And they use it to influence us, to believe and see this world as if this is all there is to everything. Anybody want to make a question or comment on this? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm just thinking, uh, since we're a Greek Orthodox Church, I'll go to another Greek Aristotle. And, um, uh, the way he spoke in his ethics about um, kind of a hierarchy of goods. Every good is for the sake of another good mm -hmm. until you reach the greatest good. Mm -hmm. Now, for him, that was politics. But I imagine for us, it would be communion with God. Right. Right. And, and uh, where we get into trouble is by identifying and perceiving the limited good that's right before us as as the greatest good, yeah. and then that becomes God. And I'm just thinking of when he's talking about uh, presenting the service as if it were the ultimate reality. Yeah, exactly. Presenting the, the surface as if it were the ultimate reality. And I think we can say that many people in this world, and we can all fall into this trap of... Essentially, conditioning, right? Conditioning our minds to operate within this framework, and we become trapped. Become uh, the potentiality to go beyond it is frozen, is is lost, is hampered. So that vision of that that. Um, experience of God and his revelation 
becomes harder and harder for a person to do. If they do not even know what they don't know, they don't even not, they don't even realize that this is possible for them to penetrate past the material visible surface. This this what we think is reality. A person believes that there's nothing beyond this. And this is the greatest deception of the devil. Just to make you think that this is all there is to everything. It's and it works. From that comes communism, from that comes materialism, from that comes everything. Satanism, commercialism, adjurisms. Right? It's all for here, for the now. Uh, but in the ascetical writings that he mentions here, you see these examples of individuals who, after years of seeking after this union with God, through prayer, through repentance, through fasting, they are given a, um, something opens up for them. Uh, and they have an experience of what we call in orthodoxy the uncreated light. Suddenly, it's as if, you know, the veil's been removed and they see something no one else sees. They're given that as a, as a gift, uh, out of, of love from God. Not that they sort of earned it, but it's, it's a gift from God. And we have their writings. Um, They'll see the saints, they'll see angels, they'll see Christ, they'll see all kinds of things. They can tell the future. They have clairvoyancy. This is real. Obviously, they are living in a realm outside of the, what most of us are living in. And they attain that through their ascetical life. And first and foremost, because of their love for God, desiring after Him, which is what compelled them. And, and the, the, this vision that they're, that they're given is simply a, almost a, 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 not a consequence, but a result of this. Not, again, not that they pray to God, make me clairvoyant, or let me see you, anything like that. No. Again, it was their love for God that caused them to, to you know, do all this ascetical Disciplines, prayer, fasting, repentance. Uh, from that comes these experiences. And they became true theologians. Okay? So the world is in this deception, kind of an identity crisis, kind of an amnesia, that they don't, we don't know who we really are. Yeah, right. Is this... Um scattering demons all around the atmosphere, is that the consequence of the fall, or was the consequence that they're now not able to be seen, is that how they're able to influence more because they can't, because they're operating invisible to man? I would say both, Okay. Uh, in the sense that man, in the presence of God, was obviously had more uh, access to God's grace, to his presence, to his protection. Now removed from that, he's more vulnerable. He's literally, you know, a sitting duck, so to speak. Um, but St. Paul, when when the devil, when Lucifer fell, and along with 
his demons, uh, his angels who became demons when they fell away from the presence of God, they inhabit they inhabited this realm between heaven and earth, between what God is, which is everywhere, um, but also where the material world is. And so they inhabit this intermediary realm. That's what St. Paul says. Um, we'll do another class just on this uh, teaching about uh, the demons and the devil and all those things. I'll focus on that one separately. Uh, so, so now, uh, of course, that part of that realm is all around and envelops the, the material realm, the earth, and the visible realm. The prince of the air. Okay, any other questions? Any questions from anyone at home? There's an icon of Adam and Eve. Uh, it's an interesting icon. I hadn't seen it before and I found it. And it shows them, you know, clearly after the fall, now aging and everything has, has happened. And uh, you see their sorrow. Uh, but there's still love between them. There's still, in a sense, a unity there. You know, they don't hate each other. <laughs> Adam doesn't hate Eve. They, there's a, uh, a compassion there, but a mutual co-suffering and regret at being deceived and um, suffering the, this longing and desire to be with God again, their father, their creator. And notice her hands, she's holding both her hands one of his hands. A lot of emotion, a lot of feeling in this icon. So the plan of salvation, God would not abandon his creation that he loved. He immediately puts a plan into motion to save humanity so that he could complete his original plan for its unification, for mankind's unification. Remember, this was the original plan for of God, that mankind would become deified, would live with him forever. He doesn't, he, when God does something, he does not take it back. Whatever he says, whatever he does, happens. He does not revoke anything. But through Adam's disobedience, through his fall, that plan was disrupted, and now he was going to continue it. So he begins now, after the fall, he reveals himself again to the prophets and through them he gives human beings a law to follow teachings to the prophets um, that you read about in the um, first five books of the Old Testament Torah the many laws of course the Ten Commandments why he's waiting for human being to be born that would have true love for him a person with humility Faith and the fear of God. And he has to wait a long time. Because, again, sin uh, is really, uh, sin and evil are really wreaking havoc on the human race. 
and you see this when you're reading the Old Testament. Uh, there's a rejection of God. There's a worshiping of false god, other gods. Uh, there's um, all kinds of things that human beings start doing, uh, and the depravity, the, the sin, reaches huge levels. Right? So that there's only one family left that is righteous and following God, and that's Noah and his family. And now God has to save them and destroy everything else to put to sort of abate and stop evil. And this is the story of the flood and Noah and the ark, the ark representing the church, right? Safe haven in, in the storm. Life. Why? Again, the, the, this he's waiting for this person to be born freely. The person has to become freely who who is required, who God requires in order for the plan of salvation to go forward. You cannot just create a person and use them. This person has to come out of human nature, has to be a product of human of humanity, in order for it to be true and authentic. And this person has to know God and love God. All right? And who do you think that person is? Mary. Mary. Right. Father? Yeah. Um, are, are Adam and Eve seen as saints? We call them the forefathers. And uh, because they were redeemed, uh, they are seen as saints. And this is why in Zycon they are... Um, given those halos, uh, because they are the children of God, the sons and the son and daughter of God. Right? They did not lose that title. They did not lose that identity. So in the sense that they are holy, yes, we can say that they are, because again, they were redeemed by Christ and restored. Mary, a new Eve, so St. Irenaeus says this, As Eve was seduced by the word of a fallen angel to flee from God, having rebelled against his word, so Mary, by the word of an angel, received the glad tidings. Received the glad tidings that she would bear God by obeying his word. The former was seduced to disobey God, and so fell. But the latter was persuaded to obey God, so that the Virgin Mary might become the advocate of the Virgin Eve. One virgin becomes the advocate of another virgin, Eve. As the human race was subjected to death through the act of a virgin, so was it saved by a virgin. And thus the disobedience of one virgin was precisely balanced by the obedience of another. Isn't that amazing? So God makes everything right. There's a new Eve. And what is that important? So that we don't go around blaming women. We don't go around blaming the, the female gender, right? And say, ah, oh, those women, they caused all this problem. No. It was also through a woman that God healed everything. So let's, let's balance it out, right? So that's why the, the Theotokos, the Virgin Mary, is so important. God sets everything all right. He balances everything. 
It equalizes everything. Let's finish with this icon. Um, this is a very interesting icon. You see to the right the uh, angel, uh, the seraphim, basically, you know, removing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and setting a guard there. And there they are in the middle in that exile. And then to the left you have this other icon, it's Christ, and he's welcoming Adam. So it comes full circle. Adam returns home. Adam is restored in Christ. Beautiful icon. In the book up to page 40, it was pretty much covering everything we just discussed. You had, of course, the Annunciation, that Gabriel appears to the Holy Virgin, and she freely agrees to this plan of God. She has to consent, as we said last time. Freedom, absolutely important. She has to consent to it. She says, let it be according to your word. She believes this message of the angel. And Mary is the greatest human being that has lived, that was born of this earth in the sense that uh, grew in holiness, being born just like all of us. She is sort of the, the crown of hum, human achievement. And why? Well, because from an early age, she learned the law of God. She practiced the faith. She devoted herself to God, to the commandments, and grew in great love. And she had purity. And she had gentleness and humility. And God, and she became the virgin that was prophesied by Isaiah. God foresaw her. She became that person who was needed in order for uh, God's plan of salvation to go, to go forward. One of the church fathers, I always forget who, but he says, the entire Old Testament was written so that the Virgin Mary might read it <laughs> and love God and have faith. Think about that. The entire Old Testament was written for the sake of the Virgin Mary. Makes sense, right? Why does the icon... Okay. Why does the icon not show Eve being received with Adam? Good, good question. I was wondering that as well. I think it has to do with um, the old Adam and the new Adam. Christ being the new Adam who restores, uh, resurrects the old Adam uh, who died and now is being resurrected through the new Adam. And this is where you see uh, that embrace, uh, almost a, re a restoration, a reuniting with oneself. So Adam sees himself in Christ, and Christ sees himself in Adam, uh, being 
since Adam is made in his own image. Father? Yeah. Too, it, it reminds me of the prodigal son. Yeah. Right. So somehow, there's an echo. Well, there's, there seems to be an echo of that there, too, that the, uh, I believe it was you who said at some point um, that that is like the sum, summation of everything, the, the, the story of the prodigal son. Or is, didn't someone say that's all you need to know? It's like that's the one parable that sums it all up, something like I, that. You're right. Yeah, thank you for that. Exactly. This is the summation. The particle sun parable, you know, really is a very orthodox uh, vision and, and understanding of Christianity and what happened. The particle sun being all of humanity and returning to the Father uh, and uh, being restored to his, his whole identity. And the more you study that parable and meditate on it, the more you understand freedom. Right? Because the prodigal is given ultimate freedom to leave. He desires to leave, and his father says, go. Uh, and restoration. Uh, and, and God's limitless love. He welcomes the prodigal, the father welcomes the prodigal back. No questions asked. No uh, requirements. You know, no stipulations. Why? Because he's still the son. That's why. He'd never stop being the son, no matter how much he sinned, no matter how, how depraved he became and lost everything, his livelihood, meaning his, his grace, his life, his spiritual powers, his identity. He lost all that. He squandered it. But when he remembers his father, he returns. And and of course, the father comes out to meet him. So there's a union, a communion, a, a meeting. Okay, good. Well, I think that's enough for tonight. It's almost 8 o'clock. Uh, thank you, everyone. Yeah, I just wanted to recap where we've been so far. And um, we're taking it slow because these first lessons are covering so much important material. And in fact, we're going to keep referring back to Adam. We're going to keep referring back to the fall in much of our future discussions, especially with regard to the Orthodox spiritual life, because every, everything is right there in Genesis. So much is right there in Genesis, and also in the cross, and also in the resurrection. You'll see this connection as we move forward.